Welcome, Resonate family and any other friends tuning in. We are glad to have you here. This summer, we are starting a series that is called The Story of God. This 12-week series covers the timeless saga of God's redemptive love, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. What is God's greater story that is unfolding throughout all of history? Each week, we will explore these questions and get into the depth and breadth of God's covenant with His chosen people, humanity's response, and the hope to be found in His story. Our prayer as we go through this series is that God's redemptive movement throughout history would inspire us to greater devotion, to love God and our neighbors on campus and in Seattle. Well, hello everyone and welcome. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Kevin and this is my first time preaching. Uh, So I'm excited to be up here. Hopefully it all goes well, praying that it does. But if it doesn't, have some grace. So this week, uh, we're continuing in our Story of God sermon series. Uh, So you can see up on the board that over the summer, we began uh, with the creation in Genesis 1, and we've been walking through much of the Old Testament, talking about the story of God, who he is, the narrative he has written. Last week, uh, we got to hear from Mike. He was going through the book of Judges, as well as First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. We got to hear about uh, Israel and their idolatry and asking for a king. We got to see the contrast between David and Saul, how Saul was a prideful king uh, who did wrong in the eyes of the Lord, versus David, who was a man after God's own heart. He was a righteous king who humbled himself and was repentant often. And we talked about that and how God opposes the prideful and exalts the humbled and what it means for us to walk in light of David's story and what it means to also be repentant and a humble people. This week, uh, we get to continue going on. Uh, we're gonna be talking through mostly the book of First and Second Chronicles. So up on the screen, you can see a timeline. Uh, and this is a timeline showing essentially the events of the whole Old Testament. And as you can see, First and Second Chronicles covers a lot of the same time period as what we covered last week in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. However, there's some differences. Uh, one, First and Second Chronicles, unlike First and Second Kings, only focuses on the kings of the southern kingdom. So you can see uh, at the bottom, you get Saul, you get David, and Solomon. And then after Solomon we get a split between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, And in 2 Chronicles, we only focus on the kings uh, of Judah, and that is the lineage of David. That's where uh, that line of king comes from. Another important note is that 1 and 2 Chronicles was written after the fact. So whereas uh, 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Samuel was written in the moment to the Jewish people, 1 and 2 Chronicles was written at the end of it all. And in fact, in the Hebrew Bible, 1 and 2 Chronicles is just one book set at the very end of everything else. And it's set as a way to look back on the history of Israel. Um, It's a way to look back in order to look forward. Um, But we're going to be starting uh, in 1 Chronicles. And so 1 Chronicles, it begins with nine chapters of genealogy, which no one enjoys reading genealogies. but it's still really sweet because it walks from Adam at the very beginning all the way the lineage to David. And personally, when I was reading it, again, genealogies aren't always fun to read, but I think there's something sweet about seeing the way the Lord so deeply cares about his people that 
there are plenty of names in there that we hear throughout the Bible of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, but there are plenty of names that we don't see uh, outside of these genealogies and knowing that whether they were recorded in the Bible or not, God, God still cared about them. They're still a part of this lineage. They're still a part of God's covenant promise to bring about uh, a king through Abraham and through David. Um, so it's really sweet being able to read those genealogies. Um, but then we kick off in First Chronicles, and it starts with David becoming king. Um, he brings the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Jerusalem, and we see that. Um, and the very end of the book of Second Chronicles, it ends with Cyrus of Persia ending uh, the people's exile. So in Second Chronicles, we see the exile happen. Uh, the people are in captivity in Babylon. And the very end of Second Chronicles is them being brought back to Jerusalem by the king of Persia. And there are a lot of things to cover. Uh, it's two full books of the Bible. There's 60-something chapters, uh, but we don't have enough time to go over every little story. So my hope is to give kind of a grand narrative of what this book is about, what's it mean for us today, what, what is the story of God through this. So to kick us off with kind of our first big takeaway, one of the major things in the book of First and Second Chronicles is the fact that God takes the sin of his people seriously. But you might hear that and think, well, of course he does. Like, God opposes sin. We know that. Uh, but y'all, we talk about the God of the Old Testament versus God in the New Testament. And it's the same God. Uh, but throughout this book, you see a pretty clear picture of God's wrath and his judgment towards sin. Uh, as you have some righteous kings and you have some unrighteous kings. And so if you have your copy of scripture, um, we're going to jump into First Chronicles chapter 10. And it'll also be up on the screen and... We'll be jumping around a lot through First and Second Chronicles, but that's where we're going to begin. And so in First Chronicles chapter 10, uh, after the genealogies, we get a brief little chapter talking about Saul, who again, if you were here last week or you just know, uh, he was the first king of Israel who did wrong in the eyes of the Lord. He was prideful. He had turned away from the Lord um, and was an unrighteous king. And we see the punishment uh, that God has. So starting in verse 13, it says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not acquire, inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. And that's kind of a heavy way to start the actual story portion of a book of the Bible of this unrighteous king being put to death by the Lord. Uh, but I think it showcases the way that God has wrath and has judgment towards sin. Uh, and then we pick up seeing David becoming king over Israel and we get two good kings. Uh, we have a poor king in Saul, uh, but then we get David again. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He's a man after God's own heart. Uh, we get his son Solomon who rebuilds or builds the temple um, and is a man of wisdom and righteousness. And then we get Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, uh, and he's the first king that we see in First and Second Chronicles who's described as unrighteous and doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, when he first became king, uh, he began oppressing his people, and the Lord pretty quickly had issue with it. And so going ahead to, uh, we're going to jump ahead to Second Chronicles. We're going to go to chapter 12. Um, and in Second Chronicles chapter 12, um, we get the first, again, unrighteous king in Rehoboam. Uh, and 
to give context, uh, right now there's a group of warriors from Egypt that are marching on Jerusalem. And so we go into verse 5 and it says, Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. Shishak was the Egyptian king that was coming. Uh, and he said to them, This is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is just. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. There's kind of two major things here. One, what an image of repentance. Uh, the prophet Shemaiah came to the leaders uh, and said, hey, you guys have abandoned the Lord and now he has abandoned you. Like you have sinned and he has cast judgment. And the leaders of Israel, the king Rehoboam, they don't try to argue. They don't try to make excuses. They simply say the Lord is just. And in that one statement, there's a recognition of their own sin, recognition that God opposes them and rightfully so, that the Lord is just in his judgment, is just in his abandonment. And so we see a really cool picture of repentance in that. Uh, and I think this also showcases the idolatry of the Jewish people and the way the Lord handles that. We talked last week about how the people of Israel for most of the Old Testament just relied on the Lord. The Lord was their guide. He was their protector. He was the one that delivered them. Uh, but they kept looking to the other nations around them and were like, hey, God, we really appreciate everything you've done. We appreciate you delivering us out of Egypt and you taking us through the wilderness. But all these other nations around us, they have a king and we kind of want a king too. They were idolatrous in the way that they viewed the nations around them. And so we see here in Second Chronicles, the Lord says, okay, you want a king. You want to know what it's like to be ruled over by an earthly ruler. I will turn you over. And he says, you may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. Uh, the Lord is full of judgment towards the sin of his people, towards the idolatry of his people. He is a righteous God and he will not stand for it. And so we see that happen. We see the people of Israel have to learn what it means to follow uh, the kings of other nations, to follow the kings of their own nations. Uh, because as we go through the rest of Second Chronicles, you get a roller coaster of good kings and bad kings. You'll have one chapter or two chapters of a good and righteous king who rebuilds the temple or cleanses the temple. And then a chapter later, an unrighteous king comes and he places idols in the temples. The people of Israel begin worshiping other gods. They fall into sin. They turn to the ways of the nations around them. And it really is just a roller coaster of God's people being delivered, being saved, and then turning away from them. And it's covers several hundred years uh, of the people of Jerusalem, multiple kings, and their idolatry and their sin. And it gets to the point where at the end of Second Chronicles, we get three straight kings who are first described as doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And picking up in Second Chronicles chapter 36, at the very end of the book, uh, the Lord uh, sends a prophet and he goes to the people and he says this, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. So we see God's mercy. We see his grace that as his people are sinning, he was continuously sending prophets and messengers to try to deliver them, to try to save them. Uh, 
But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Again, there is story after story of God pouring out his wrath and judgment because of the sin of his people. The Jewish people, again, they, they have God. They worship him. They've been delivered, and they so quickly turn away. They turn away to their own sin, to the idols around them. And we see God pour out his wrath because of it. And even in that, we, we also see a glimpse of God's faithfulness and his grace. Both in that verse, or in those verses, we see God trying again and again to save his people, to send messengers. And we also see God faithfully delivering them time and time again, even after their sin. But praise God, the exile is not where the story ends. Uh, at the very end of Second Chronicles, as I was saying earlier, we see Cyrus, the king of Persia. Uh, he brings the Israelites back out of exile and back to Jerusalem. Uh, they rebuild the temple. That's where we get uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as the people attempt to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. Um, and it's, again, it's a picture of God's faithfulness to his people. And I think that's really what these two books are about. Because, again, Chronicles, it was written after the fact as a way to look back on the history of God's people. Um, it wasn't meant to just be anecdotal stories. There, there was something more to it. They were, they were looking ahead to what God is still doing. You see, in, we talked previously about God's covenant with Abraham, um, how he had promised him not only that his people would reach the promised land, but they would also grow in number. And we see that come true in First Chronicles. When we see David become king, uh, the people will come to Jerusalem. They grow in number. They become a large and mighty nation. Uh, and so we see God fulfill uh, his covenantal promise to the people of Israel, despite their unfaithfulness. Um, but we also see God make even more covenant promises uh, in this book. Um, this story, again, it's looking back in order to look ahead um, because woven into all the stories of these kings is God's faithfulness, is God's covenant promise to bring about something more, to bring about the redemption of his people. So we're actually going to flip back to First Chronicles. Uh, we're going to go to verse 17, and we're going to pick up with God making a covenant promise with David. So in here, uh, the Ark of the Covenant had just been brought back to Jerusalem. And we see uh, God and David in which, in verse 11, it says this, uh, God speaking to David. It says, When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And what's really interesting is that we see God make a very similar promise to David only a couple of chapters later. So flipping ahead, we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, where in verses 9 and 10, it says this, But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Did you guys catch the differences between the two? Because in both, he talks about building a house. In both, God talks about establishing a king who will reign. But in the first one, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took away from his predecessor. He says, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And then the second time when talking about Solomon, he says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. That is the temple. He will be my son and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. There, there's a slight difference there. And I think it's so important because in this, we see God make kind of two more covenantal promises. One, uh, that David would have a son who rebuilds or builds a temple, who builds a house uh, for my name. And we see that come true with Solomon. Uh, only a couple of chapters later, we see Solomon build a wildly extravagant and expensive temple uh, with a lot of riches. And we see that and we see Solomon become king and we see Solomon's uh, throne over the kingdom of Israel forever. But from that first one, we're, we're still kind of missing something. God had said, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. There, there's a piece missing there. God had fulfilled kind of three out of four of his covenantal promises of reaching the promised land, the nation of Israel growing in numbers, a temple being built, but there's still something missing. They're still missing that king who's supposed to reign forever, that God will establish over his house and kingdom. Um, and that's kind of the whole point of First and Second Chronicles. The whole point of it is Jesus. We see from David throughout all the kings, uh, it's all pointing towards him. It's all saying, hey, these worldly kings are not enough. These, this worldly power is not enough. These good intentions are not enough. Something more is needed. And that's why First and Second Chronicles is written after the fact, in order to look back, because at its core, it's a story of hope that both the faithfulness and unfaithfulness, the judgment and the deliverance, uh, the sin and brokenness, the righteous kings and unrighteous kings, God has promised a king, a son in whom all will be made well that to David he had said, I will establish his, him over my kingdom and my throne forever. And that's what we're missing. But we already know about Jesus. We, we get to live in light of Jesus and the resurrection. So why does this matter? Uh, we, we know God fulfilled his promise. We know that fourth one got fulfilled, that Jesus came, uh, that he came to redeem his people, that he died on the cross, and that Jesus is that king that has come. Can I ask you to consider something? I don't think we're that different than the author of Chronicles and the Jewish people at that time. They were operating after the fact, looking back on the history of God's people as they awaited the promised Messiah. They, they had hope in something. They knew that despite the exile, that God was still at work and that God had still made a promise to bring about his king. And he had been faithful throughout all of history, so they knew he would be faithful again. And so they were waiting for that Messiah. And we too get the opportunity to look back on the history of God's people as we await a Messiah as well. You see, Jesus has come, uh, but he is still yet to come. We see that throughout the New Testament that Jesus often confused his disciples in talking about his own resurrection and how he's coming at the end of the days. We get to see a picture of revelation of a king on a white horse coming uh, to make all things well, to conquer the nations, to set apart his kingdom. And so, resident of Seattle, let me end with this. May we not conform to the pattern of this world. 
May we not turn to the sin around us. May we not turn to the idols around us. May we not choose to follow those things of the world. Because Jesus has come, and he's still yet to come. And so despite the sin, the brokenness, the hurt, the grief of this world, we have a king, and he's coming to make all things well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, again that we get to be here. Lord, that we get to hear your word. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful uh, for both your conviction and your encouragement. God, that we know you are a just God uh, who has judgment and wrath towards sin. Lord, it's who you are. Your goodness, your holiness cannot stand it. But Lord, you are faithful and you are good. And despite it all, despite our sin and brokenness, Lord, you, you provided a way. You provided a son. You provided a king who, Lord, died on the cross Lord, so that we might be saved from our sins. So, Lord, we're grateful. And I pray that as we go about this week, Lord, we can have hope. Lord, we can trust in you and your faithfulness. We can trust in your promise, Lord, that Jesus has come and is still yet to come. Lord, that there is a kingdom coming that we can't even grasp the goodness of. Lord, we can't even grasp your goodness. So, Lord, I pray that you just be with us throughout this week. Lord, and you remind us of your truth. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in your name.